This is Residence 104.4 FM. How are you doing? Greeting groovers, seekers of sophistication, lovers of literature, tis I, Nicholas of Hennigan, coming at you on 104.4 FM and, of course, on the London Literary Pub Crawl.com podcast and now at the Maverick Theatre Company.com podcast page. Oh, I'm everywhere I am. Like a bad rash. Anyway, apart from that, uh, excuse me, wheezing, how was your summer? Did you have a good time? I spent it entirely at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. And yes, I've come back with festival flu. <coughs> a small cough just to show how ill I am. Uh, with two plays that I wrote and directed. When I say two plays I wrote, one of the plays is called Romeo and Juliet. And a bloke uh, near where I used to live, uh, old Bill, Bill Shakespeare, he had a hand in it, although, of course, he stole the story from somewhere else. Uh, and another play I wrote called Pals. Uh, Pals is actually an acronym. It stands for Pete, Andy, Linda and Sue. And that, those are the names of the four uh, characters uh, who take um, part in the play. That wasn't very well said, was it? Those are the four characters, the main characters, Pete, Andy, Linda, Sue. It's a tale of four kids growing up on a council estate in Birmingham. I wonder whose life that could be based on, eh? Yeah. Anyway, the other good news about that is that if you missed both plays at the Edinburgh Festival uh, Fringe, we were with uh, Assembly Rooms in the Blue Room, actually, in George Square. Uh, then you can see us in London. Oh, ah! Till the end of September. Both plays at Romeo and Juliet, which has got a sort of a footballing theme to it, uh, and Pals are performed by the same four brilliant, beautiful, clever, talented actors in rep. So one night is Romeo and Juliet, the other night is Pals. Uh, it's kind of black box theatre, very raw and stripped back, and people seem to like it, which is great. And if you'd like to come and see it, then we're on at the Tabard Theatre. The Tabard Theatre is in Chiswick, in uh, London, uh, W4, West London. Um, and talking of things literal in West London, it was time, as I got back from the Edinburgh Festival, for the Chiswick Book Fair, a collection of uh, West London writers and writers, of course, from all over the place. So I thought what I'd do is I'd pop along with my electric handbag. I'd pop along to the launch event of Chiswick Writers. And so this week, it's part one of Writers of West London. Greetings, groovers, seekers of sophistication and lovers of literature. How are you doing? Tis I, Nicholas of Hennigan. Now, yes, I've been in Edinburgh all summer. All summer long, as you probably know. Uh, but I'm back home now. Not only have I got the two Edinburgh shows playing at the Tabard Theatre in Chiswick, I'm in Chiswick for the launch of what's become an annual, an annual event and one full of quality. Um, I reported on it last year, you may remember, um, and I've just bumped into, because that's what happens, Bridget Osborne, who is editor of the Chiswick Calendar. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I have a feeling it's about to start. You can hear the hubbub in the background. It's a very full room. Lots of local authors talking about their books. And uh, tell us about the Chiswick Calendar. It's a website. It's a listings website of all that's on in Chiswick. And there is actually a surprising amount happening in Chiswick. We also put on our own events. So we've got an art exhibition at the Clayton Hotel at the minute. And we do jazz at the George IV once a month on the first Thursday of the month. That sounds brilliant. And where could people find out more? www.thechiswickcalendar.co.uk And if you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, we also have a club card which offers deals and discounts from local businesses to local people. And indeed, the London Literary Pub Crawl is a recipient of aforementioned discount cards. It is indeed, and that's been going from strength to strength by the look of it. Yes, we're all over the world at the moment, thankfully. Um, Oh, I think we're about to be hurried along. But thank you, Bridget. Have a nice night. Pleasure. You too. So a huge round of applause, please, for Waterford.
We've always celebrated local authors right from the very, very first um, festival when I quoted Thackeray as being somebody who had actually brought Chiswick Mal into the chapter title of his first chapter uh, of Vanity Fair. But there were so many other authors who lived in Chiswick and we didn't think that they were actually getting um, the, the, the recognition that they came from Chiswick. Uh, and so last year we, we set up a Chiswick timeline of writers and books. And if you've not yet seen our writer's trail, um, please pick up a copy. This writer's trail has um, two Nobel Prizes for Literature, one Booker Prize, three Oscar winners, a Poet Laureate, and that doesn't include either Thackeray or Pope. So all of these lived in Chiswick or were represented in Chiswick in some way, uh, and you can go round their, um, their houses, look at them, not inside them, but that recognises that Chiswick actually uh, is quite a centre. Uh, and uh, the other thing we've done online is we have done a timeline of anybody who's ever lived in Chiswick and written a book. <laughs> it was 250 names up till today. I have just added 70, including quite a few of the people in this room. We are now well over 300, which is what led the Observer to say in April this year, Chiswick may be Britain's most literary location. <laughs> I, I, I thought I could die happy now. I, I've launched a book festival and I've got physics recognition. So anyway, uh, go on the white timeline. You'll see a link to everybody's book or themselves or a Wikipedia thing. So uh, lots, to, lots to see there. But we've always celebrated them by trying to give them a platform here. And some are on the main uh, programme and some we bring here. And a couple of years ago, we came up with a perfect formula, which is 20 authors, two minutes each and lots of drink. Uh, and it's worked brilliantly, as we can see from all the people uh, who are here today. And what makes it even more brilliant is that after Fuller's sponsoring us last night, Sipsmith, our wonderful local distillery, uh, are sponsoring it tonight. And a huge round of applause, please. To I'm very grateful to one of our most prominent local authors, James O'Brien, for coming and doing a signing because that's added to the oomph of the event and he will be speaking later provided the queue has gone down and the queue was uh, a long way uh, down the high road. But we didn't have room from him on the main programme. James hadn't had a signing here so we thought well, let's make it, uh, make it happen here. So I'm going to stop speaking. I haven't been gonged out by Jo uh, with her because she felt I'd got too much to say. But just to say what's going to happen, uh, before we get the presentations from the 20 authors, uh, Lucy Cufflin, who is the progenitor of the wonderful cookbook festival that started last year uh, and is going from strength to strength, she will be speaking for a couple of minutes about this year's cookbook festival. Then I'm delighted that we're launching here today, and it's one of the things that the book festival can do. It can become a platform for promoting reading. So we do a lot with schools. We have a we have our children's um, poetry competition. But we're launching tonight the Read Well Book Club, which is Chiswick Better Mental Health in Chiswick have organised this. Uh, and so you'll be hearing from uh, Sally uh, a couple two minutes about that. Uh, and then, because Sipsmiths actually have a book to sell, it's, they're not just being totally generous. <laughs> Cheska from Sipsmiths is going to get two minutes. She says she doesn't need it. Uh, but anyway, we shall see. And then finally, our wonderful author programme director, Joe James, who is the one who gets us all of these fabulous authors. So a big round of applause, please, for Joe. <laughs> 
Fee is going to take you through the runners and riders for the Great Chiswick Local Authors Sprint. Thank you very much. Here's Lucy. Jogging doesn't count as part of the two minutes. No, you no, start okay. Right. Okay. Um, I'm one of ten um, very enthusiastic uh, foodie local ladies, and last year we started the Cookbook Festival as an offshoot of the Book Festival, and our side is just all about food and drink and eating and enjoying it. Uh, a year on, we're still here, uh, and we've got lots and lots more for you this year. Demonstrations, tasting, workshops, hands-on things, so lots of exciting things, plus... This year on Sunday, we're closing Turnham Green Terrace on the 15th, and uh, there's lots of fun for everybody on the street, so lots of free activities for families and children. We're doing it with abundance, so if you haven't heard about that, come on down and enjoy that day too, and uh, make a real day of it and book something at the Book Festival, the Cookbook Festival. <coughs> uh, very quickly, the chefs we've chosen this year, we've chosen specifically because they have very uh, individual and exciting stories to tell. So they have very unique ways of cooking, uh, their inspiration, their individual. Um, we've got all sorts of things. The venues are small, so you actually don't just get to watch them create their magic and cook up their magic. You actually get to ask them questions. You get to talk to them, meet them, and you get to taste all of their food, and you get to have a drink all at the same time. So it's not just about watching. It's about really tasting it and making the most of it. Uh, we start off with a fabulous Danish lunch on Friday. If anybody's around for that, there's a few tickets left. Um, and then for me, one of the most exciting things on Saturday evening is Matthew Fort from the Great British Menu and Felicity Cloak from The Guardian are teaming up to have a British uh, against French food conversation. <laughs> and that is fun. So it should be really exciting. That's in the church. And that is followed by drinks and tasters of their food. So what could be better for that? Uh, we've got workshops on Sunday, so you can be hands-on. You can learn something. Uh, you can come. Children can come and make the giant uh, cookie as big as their head. So it's all sorts of things. Don't miss the street party. Am I nearly at two minutes? I'm going to stop now. But if you haven't got your tickets, you've all got a little uh, brochure. Get online. Join us at the weekend. And <laughs> <laughs> from Better Mental Health in Chiswick. We set up about a year ago. Uh, we're a very small group of volunteers. We set up because of growing concern in the area about poor mental health and poor well-being. We do a range of different things. We're only volunteers, we're not clinicians, but our particular focus is on trying to bring people together and build a sense of connectedness. We're also convinced that creativity plays a big role. So our new initiative is the Read Well Book Club, which we're launching today. We're immensely grateful to Torin and the team for welcoming us here to do it. The idea of the book club is there are so many books. Sorry, sorry. There are so many books published now about mental health and well-being, and we all buy them, we all take them home, we all read them. Our idea is perhaps it might be even better if we came together then to discuss them. So we're going to pilot the book club for three months, October to December, and see if our idea works. We hope some of you may want to get involved. We've got um, some information over there, and you can sign up through our email account. Thank you very much.
actually, if any of you didn't hear that, the Readwell Book Club, they've got info in the corner over there. Do please go and see them at some point this evening. Well done, Sally. Thank you. Now, um, Cheska, your turn. So, ladies and gents, Cheska from Sipsmith. Um, I feel like a bit of a fraud for being here, as I am not the author of SIP, um, but it was actually my mad idea uh, to uh, pitch a book to our master distiller who wrote it. So those of you who don't know SIP Smith, our master distiller is Garrett Brown. He's actually a self-publisher. He's published about 50 cocktail books um, with his wife. Um, but they're for the geeks of the cocktail world. And I said, Jared, there's not a book for me in your collection. And actually, I think there's something magical in the simplicity that's happening not only in food with the likes of Simple Enough Lenghi and Jamie Oliver and his five ingredients actually inspired me to do a lot more cooking. I was like, actually there's something in having a simple cocktail offering because the majority of delicious cocktails are actually a balance of three ingredients. Uh, so the book is called Sip. It's a uh, hundred gin cocktails with only three ingredients. Uh, so for those of you who thought you could only drink gin in the gin and tonic, this is not true. Um, and Jared has found a hundred different ways to do that. Um, as um, Torin mentioned, it was published on Thursday last week. So very fitting time to come and be a part of this event. And thank you again to Waterstones for believing in my mad idea. Um, for those of you who don't know Sipsmith very quickly, I've uh, spoken to a few of you this evening, but we really are your most local distillery to here which is pretty cool. Uh, we have actually been around now for 10 years, so it was our 10th anniversary in March. And to give you some context of what Sipsmith, the Sipsmith story very briefly, um, <laughs> our founders basically changed the license to allow distillers to make gin on a small scale again. So we were, they were the pioneers of the craft gin industry. Uh, when Sipsmith launched, there were 20 gin brands in the UK. There are now 860 gin brands in the UK. So a lot of choice. Uh, so they have definitely inspired a generation of gin. And my uh, idea hopefully will inspire a generation of people to drink great uh, gin cocktails. Um, but for those of you who haven't been... for all our local authors who are going to be speaking tonight. There is no microphone. Please project, because we have a very full room and there are people at the back, so we want to make sure that everybody can hear. So speak loudly, speak clearly, speak outwards if you're not throwing your head in your paper. So um, time for the real business of the evening. And I would like to welcome to the stage our very first author, the wonderful Alice Peterson. You start timing when you start again. <laughs> Quick, okay. Here is my book, If You Were Here. So, imagine you know something potentially awful that you really should tell someone close to you, but somehow the time is never right. Either they're too young, they're having a tough time, or finally they're so happy that you don't want anything to jeopardise that. And the longer you keep the secret from them, the harder it becomes to say a word. This is the dilemma that my protagonist, Peggy Andrews, finds herself in. She nursed her much-loved husband, Tim, until he died of the genetic illness, Huntington's disease. She has since discovered via a hospital letter that her late daughter, Beth, took the test for HD and tested positive. This means that Peggy's beloved granddaughter has a 50% chance of inheriting HD2, 
a condition you would not wish upon your worst enemy, let alone someone you love. So, should Peggy tell her, or should she let Flo live in the blissful ignorance, praying that she has escaped the odds? So it's so tempting for Peggy to do the latter. After all, her granddaughter Flo is engaged, she's happy, she's moving to New York. So Peggy's thinking, why do I want to tell her when there's a 50-50 chance that she won't have inherited the gene? But then again, what if Flo does get married, she wants to have children, they then are at risk and the secret grows. So I, th I think If You Were Here is the, sort of, is the perfect book club read because the story asks so many questions and it makes for a really lively debate. And it's sort of really the heart of it is how much do we want to know about our future? Is it better for us to live in blissful ignorance about what tomorrow may bring? Or is it better to face reality? Peggy does finally summon the courage to tell Flo the story. <laughs> and I just say quickly, it's just about, basically she does tell Flo the truth and, and the issue is, will Flo take the test? Do we want to know our future or not? <laughs> Cheating there from Alice. Cheating, carrying on after. No more of that. No more of that. So, um, folks, next to the stage we have Christina Bill. Thank you. All right. Good evening, everyone. I'm going to do my best to try to project, so even the people at the best at the end of the room can hear me. So, I'm a non-fiction writer. I've written a book called Positive Discipline for Today's Busy and Overwhelmed Parent. How to Balance Work, Parenting and Self for Lasting Well-Being. So, how can I promise that in two minutes? Let me ask you this. Hands up everyone in this room who can honestly say, hand on heart, you've never felt overwhelmed by modern life. <laughs> okay, we have, we have three lucky winners, so drinks on them in the pub after. For the rest of us, the reality is that we, most of us need a little bit of help to get our strategies right. And we also don't quite have the time and the energy to be reading lots of different books about self-development and parenting and leadership because we're all busy working people as well. And positive discipline is a fantastic strategy based on neuroscience and psychology that is proven and that works. Millions of copies of, not this book yet, but other books in this series have been sold worldwide and it's a very effective strategy. And the best way I can get you to experience this is to ask you to engage with me in a slight little activity. So all I want you to do is close your eyes. Close your eyes. And breathe. Take a nice deep breath. And keep your eyes closed. And all you need to do is listen to the instructions I give you. So now just stay nice and calm, open your eyes, and look at me, and with your right hand, make an okay sign, make an okay sign, and place it on your chin. 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 Right, so we have confusion, and why is that? Because <laughs> you'll never know. <laughs> because we learn by doing, people, by observing and not by listening. So, right. more, more strategies. <laughs>
watching you all. You were all, you didn't know whether to do. <laughs> 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 Question. Lovely stuff. The books that are being spoken about are they all a particular table? Somewhere? They're all by the till there for sale, <laughs> and the authors will all be signing them at the end. Oh yes. So you can ask questions individually, then. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Right, next we have... No. We have a very slight change to the running order, which won't affect any of you because none of you know what it is, apart from two percent. <laughs> um, even they don't. Know. And even they don't. Know. I'm terribly sorry about this. But we have a we have a four-legged friend who's not able to wait out the evening, and Jeremy was due to be speaking right at the end. So we've brought Percy along. There you go. I've done the intro for you. Don't need to use that. Um, so we brought Percy along. So we thought we'd we'd put Jeremy here. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, please welcome Jeremy Fine. Hi. My name is Jeremy Fine. I've lived in London for 20 years. I've lived in Chiswick for 10 years. I have four grown-up books with Penguin, but this is my first children's book. It's a true story based on my golden retriever puppy, which you can see now. He's not a puppy. He's almost nine years old, and my husband is in his handler tonight. He's not dealing with a horn very well. Um, one of the hardest things I found about being a dog owner is you don't realize how disgusting the streets of London are until your dog tries to eat everything in sight. <laughs> and I mean, whether it's stale bread in the park or a used condom under a bench, the things I've pulled out of this dog's mouth are incredible. And when I had a daughter, um, that was my inspiration for writing this children's book. Um, I've been incredibly lucky that I found this amazing artist. She's only 19 years old, and she's hand-painted all of these pictures, watercolors, I mean, beautiful. So if you support this book, you're also supporting very young artists. Um, and in the book, he tries to eat shoes, he tries to eat pizza, he tries to eat the cat's food, he tries to eat out of the dishwasher, and I'm constantly saying, not for Percy, not for Percy, not for Percy, because that's what I have to say to him in real life. Even at the gin table tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a good book for anyone probably under six, um, and the pictures are very realistic. They're not abstract like a lot of the ones out there. Um, which is better for children in general. So that's my pitch. <laughs> stage, love it, um, and hopefully not the last. Now, uh, next up, who should have been last up, but anyway, now next up, please welcome Maggie Piggott. Hello, I'm Maggie Piggott, and I'm a first-time author at 68 of this book, How to Age Joyfully, Eight Steps for a Happier, Fuller Life, recently published by Ashette, and with a foreword by the wonderful Judy Dench. I could stop there, couldn't I? <laughs> May West said, you only live once, but if you do it right, once is enough. <laughs> and Gandhi said, the future depends on what you do today. And that really sums up my book, 
which has been called a manifesto for living better longer. And we are all living longer. And that's a reason to celebrate and a huge opportunity if we can stay well and healthy. And the great news is we can all do something to improve how well we age. My eight steps are based on research, evidence, and my personal experience. The eight steps include being active, connected with others, positive, eating well. And each of the steps has practical tips, and there are over 150 in all, and over 170 uplifting quotes to inspire you to action, or just make you feel smug and reassured that you're doing it all. <laughs> so, well, as well as those uh, steps, there is also examples of people who have achieved great things from age 50 to 100, my personal story, and more. And I'm thrilled to bits that it's been endorsed by health and aging experts and readers who've said it's inspiring, essential, eye-opening, fun, and Giles Brandreth has said it's full of wit, wisdom, and hope. So I hope you'll enjoy it, be joyful, and thank you. I think it's worth pointing out that our next speaker endorses that sentiment. Absolutely. Um, thank you. I, I just what? wanted to... No, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Maggie had half a second to go. That's, that's good timing. Well done, Maggie. Where have you gone? Now, in, in a break from tradition, I'm actually going to get someone else to introduce our next speaker. Simon, over to you. I'm just grabbing a few seconds because um, my friend uh, Pat Davis is probably too modest to let you all know that she recently was awarded a Legion of Honour from the French government for work supporting D-Day when as a young teenager and into her early 20s she was intercepting German shipping, um, helping Bletchley Park with gathering their um, Enigma code. So as the book is not about Pat, I just wanted to add that, but I think we'd all like to welcome Pat Davis, who is the next speaker. Well, gosh, that was a surprise. Uh, I've come to talk about a book not written by me, but by my father, um, and it is the diary he kept as uh, Camp Commandant, British Camp Commandant, of a large prisoner of war camp in Thailand. He and his regiment were sent out to fight the Japanese there. It was a disastrous campaign. They had no air cover or adequate defenses. All taken prisoner, sent up to Thailand, and uh, he was chosen to be Camp Commandant. Um, he managed to raise morale, which was very low, by various means, by getting them a slightly better diet, um, particularly by arguing with the Japanese that the very sick and, uh, and probably dying prisoners were not sent up to work on the Burma Railway, which the rest of them were. And um, he was not allowed to keep a diary, but of course he did because he felt that what they were experiencing 
ought to be recorded. He wrote it in tiny notebooks. He buried it first of all in a bamboo stem and then in an oil can in a grave in our cemetery. And he survived. We didn't know he was alive for three years, really. But uh, he got home, he brought the diary, he wrote it up as a book. No publisher wanted it. They said, people are tired of reading about the war. So uh, it wasn't published in his lifetime. But recently, my sister and I, and we're both in our middle 90s, thought, why don't we have one more go? We sent it to Pen and Sword, and they said, yes, we'd like to publish this book. And they have. And although he doesn't know, but I'm very glad we've been able to do this in his memory. The eagle-eyed amongst you might have spotted I did give Pat four extra seconds. <laughs> Thanks very much to all the writers who took part. And uh, you can hear more writers talking about their works, their two-minute pitches and that lovely horn <laughs> next week on Literary London. Again, thank you for your company. If you'd like to get in touch, I'm Nick Hennigan. You can get me at radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk. Radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk. If you can make the Tabard Theatre in Chiswick, come and see my plays, Pals and Romeo and Juliet. And in fact, if you let me know you're coming, I'll buy you a pint afterwards. They're still in their Edinburgh format, as it were, so they're one-hour shows, no interval, because um, that's what Edinburgh's like. But uh, And then we'll join West London writers uh, next time. Thanks for your company. I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Literary London on Resonance 104.4 FM.